0: Good evening. Oh, I like that. Good evening, Dr. Mike. <laughs> uh, I want to let you see um, my attire tonight. You know, I know I don't have a tie on tonight, but I have my socks, my special socks. They're, well, they're gray, but they're socks anyway. And a uh, friend of mine recently, I was dressed like this and put a, friend, a, a picture on Facebook and somebody wrote and said, really, Mike, really, socks, you know, like, you know, say, it's not all that stylish but I'm, I I want to tell you I'm bringing soxy back. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, you know. Oh well. Bringing soxy back for all of you. Okay. Um Deus EBS lots of things to think about. Oh. Jay's going to give me a clicker here in a second, but uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's what did I want to say? Oh, uh, Teze. You know, I was first, all those things that I learned from camp. That Teze song we just sang, I learned about Teze from camp. That was uh, really pretty special. Um, oh, first of all, I want to say thank you all for being here in the, uh, in creating this wonderful feeling of warmth. Uh, I appreciate that warmth. And that you're, you know, willing to uh, be with all of us together in the, in the heat of the evening. Um, hmm. So, thank you. Teze. Teze at camp. Well, it was a wonderful experience. Probably my second year at camp, I think Barbara Thomas was leading Rhythms. And at some point, she had us all, this was in the redwoods, in this big field, and, and she had us kind of all, towards the end of Rhythms, all lie down in the, in the field. And she was playing that Tezé song, not this one, but uh, Veni Sancte Spiritus, which means Come Holy Spirit, Come Holy Spirit. Let's sing a little bit if you know it. You can just kind of you start off on one low note. Veni Sancte Spiritus. Veni Sancte Spiritus. And then you go up, uh, you go up, uh, oh, you go up. Veni Sancte Spiritus. There you go. Veni Sancte Spiritus. And then you add the third. Veni Spiritus. Veni Sancte Spiritus, Veni Sancte Spiritus, Veni, Veni Sancte Spiritus, Veni Sancte Spiritus, Veni Sancte Spiritus. Veni Sancte Spiritus. One more time, Veni Sancte Spiritus. And that was playing over loudspeakers, and all there on the side of the hill. And for the first time in my life, I actually, I, you know, imagined or I felt. The, the entire pulse of the world with that song. It was like I could feel the pulse of the world going through that song and it was quite a profound experience and I felt really lucky many years, many years later to go to Tézé in France. Um, like 5,000 people a week go through this monastery. You know, and it's, it's a big youth movement in, in Europe and lots of young people there. And um, <clears throat> The week I was there was the hottest week on record in France, and so it was kind of, it was much like this. It was very, think of 5,000 sweaty people, sweaty Europeans, um, uh, people from all over the world. But what was great about it is that I got to meet people from all over the world, um, and their common language was music. You know, they couldn't sing, you know, we could often couldn't speak to each other, but we could sing together. And one of, you always get a job at Teze, you know, during the week. So my job was dishwasher, so I would I would get together and there's a bunch of a Polish and Italian ladies and I all in there washing dishes and we didn't couldn't say anything to each other except, except for sing the songs. And so we just sang all the Tezai songs we knew. And then I remember on Friday, you know, I didn't know the traditions there. But I'm get there on Friday and I'm just kinda of singing, you know, Laudate Dominum, Laudate Dominum. and the women were like, Oh, shh, 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 I'm like, it's Friday we don't sing. You know? And I'm like Oh, it's the day Jesus died. And you're like, oh, okay. It's very solemn. Anyway, little Teze stories. I, I, anytime I want, right? Okay, okay. Let's see what we got. Ah, that's Turkey. <laughs> well, it's not a Turkey, but it is in <laughs> Turkey, right? Uh, they're just thinking of doorways and all the images that have been meaningful to me throughout my life. And uh, this one was. Uh, just a sense of... This was actually at a, taken at a mental hospital from the first century. Think about that. A mental hospital from the first century. In this part of Turkey, a lot of people with mental illnesses were sent here uh, for recuperation. And there were special uh, mineral found, uh, springs there that had uh, mineral salts that made people happy. So that was one of the things they did there. And it was a center of healing and they, they tell the story of when all the people would arrive, the new batch of people arrive, they would parade them through the street as they were going, walking up to the mental hospital. They would parade them through the streets and all the people would stand around and clap and applaud and cheer them as they're coming in. And it was all part of their, uh, their restoration. And in the middle of the mental hospital was a theater. I don't have that picture, but there's a theater right in the middle of this. And it was, everybody's like, well, what's what's a theater doing in the middle of this you know, kind of spa, mental health, you know, mental health place? And they said drama is, was important to the ancient Greeks. It was very important for their healing. The telling of stories, especially as Diana said this morning, redemptive stories uh, were very important. And so they saw, as people, they, as people watched others resolving conflict and resolving things on stage, the catharsis and the ugh, angst and all that stuff, as they res- as they watched people go through that, they were able to resolve that in their own lives. So, I just thought that was very interesting, and I got to take the picture of this of this um, doorway there. So, all right, a couple of things I realized as soon as I sat down the other day from talking, um, I think, oh, I was going to weave it all together in a beautiful way. Oh, I will get to do it later. Okay. So those of you here, for those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. I, I spoke about um, the Apostle Paul had these amazing spiritual experiences where he went all the way up to heaven. What's our sound effect? Right, all right, All the way up to heaven, comes back down. He says, "Well, I saw things there and heard things that are so amazing. Yet I can't really tell you. And it was so amazing. And yet I find myself back in this limited body." and I find myself having to live this life. And he said, finally he prayed to God, and God said, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. And there's a, I wanted to play with that phrase just a little bit to kind of tie all that together. I said, I could tell you fantastical stories, and you might walk away and go, hmm, well, that's interesting. Um, but then say, well, what does it mean for our life here and now and the, being the, you know, the, to be the mystic or the practical mystic? But for me, I like to tie together. That word grace in Greek is charis, charis. And it's the root of the word charisma, which means gift. So the word charis means grace, the word charisma means gift, and the word chara in Greek means joy. So when we're told to rejoice in all things, we're told to, to experience that grace in such a way as that it produces gratitude. The Latin, that's Greek, the Latin words grace and gratitude come from the same root, "gracia," and uh, they mean the same thing. There's grace, at the heart of grace is gratitude. And what's the Spanish word for thank you? Gracias. Gracias, you know. So all of those words are all connected. So what I wanted to say was, at the end of the day, great spiritual experiences, woo, woo, yay. Um, but also to say, as I'm living my daily life, and each thing is to be able to be grateful and um, so I have a little song that I wrote It goes like this uh, Maybe Dana could play it Where is he? Ooh, I'll, I'll start singing He'll find a key uh, Gratitude, gratitude All I feel is gratitude You pick a key Where he's, got the, he's got the music actually What do we got, Dana? <laughs> kind of mellow, you know Mr. Rogers, you know. Gratitude. 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 All I feel is gratitude. All I feel is gratitude. Repeat. Gratitude. Gratitude. All I feel is gratitude. I am grateful every day for my life in every way. Let's do that again. I am grateful every day for my life in every way. I am grateful every day for my life in every way. Gratitude, gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude all i feel is gratitude so we change the word each time the first but did i say feel the first time feel all i feel is gratitude and then maybe say all i know is gratitude singing with me gratitude gratitude all i know is gratitude 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 all i know is gratitude i am grateful every day i am grateful every day For my life in every way. Gratitude, gratitude. All I know is gratitude. And thank you for the song stylings of Mr. Dan Belmont. Dan Belmont, people on the piano. <laughs> yeah, that's part of a, a bigger story too about Mr. Dan Belmont anywhere Tanya and Dana and I traveled in Africa they just couldn't say Dana they couldn't say the name Dana so he just settled they say Dana and they, so they'd say, we'd settled on Dan for him Dan Belmont Dan Belmont alright anyway just uh, linking that all together the end of that kind of story is these I might bring it up again fantastical stories wonderful here and now, what do I do in the here and now when I, I need to sing that song, I I created that song because, often I'm telling myself a different story than gratitude, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the stories we tell ourselves, ah, oh, oh my, Um, I'm going to read you a little scripture story, and I know somebody gave me a magnifying glass, but that's, that's, I can see it, I can see it, all right. Now, this story is a strange one. It comes from the book of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. He sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Whew, don't we know it, huh? Right? He sat by his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up, and he saw three strangers standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord... If I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, and you, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, make ready three loaves of, of flour, and knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant and who hastened to prepare it. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And then it goes on to say that the three strangers then said to Abraham, you're going to have a child. And Sarah's listening at the tent, and what does she do? She laughs. She laughs. <laughs> I'm like 90, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm going to have a child? <laughs> anyway, that's the rest of the story. I wanted to focus on the beginning of that, this sense of these, these three strangers that come into Abraham's midst and what he does uh, with the, in the presence of these three strangers. Let us pray. Holy, great and holy mystery, three in one, come to us, embody for us faith, hope, and love. And in the mystery of that encounter, reveal who you are to us and who we are to you and to one another. Come, Holy Spirit, Veni Sancte Spiritus, for wherever true charity and love abide. There is God. Amen. Hmm. So I'm going to weave some things together, weave a few things together, like I always do. Ah, what does it say up there? (laughs) I'll I'll get back to that. Okay, so let's... um, Let's bring that to... You. So the telling of a story, of a fantastical story, and if you weren't here the other night, I, I told a story of where I heard otherworldly music that had no source. And I, there was somebody else... Well, the good thing was that there was somebody else with me. I mean, a, a live human being in this dimension, you know, is here with me. And she could confirm to me that this happened, with me, that this happened. It doesn't mean to this day that I still go, did this really happen? Did we really hear this? What does it mean? I don't know. But I took that experience, and I'm not unreflective about this strangeness, and I actually wrote my seminary um, application letter. I wrote the story, all about that story in that thing. They still let me into Princeton, uh, <laughs> which is a very rational place. It's a, Princeton has a very rational approach to God. They, um, from their Calvinist heritage, they don't believe that you know, they don't study uh, theology and the arts at all. They're very leery and wary of the arts. So they anyway it's just something that was I let you know that some guy coming in saying he heard music from some source that I was sure that they, you know, that would be strange for them. They let me in anyway and but later on I was doing doctoral work and I wrote uh, on this experience in a course on theological anthropology and the paper I wrote was called The Transformation of Mythic Consciousness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, yeah, And big words, yeah. Seminary, you get to use lots of big words. And I'm going to unfold what that means to me, you know, as we go along here. But this is a classic uh, image from the Middle Ages, though, of that mystic who kind of lives in this physical realm, but kind of gets a glimpse of the other side from time to time. And what do you do with that? Um, what do I do with that? So, I don't remember what that paper was really about. It explored Aristotelian, you know, that's Aristotle, categories, Aristotelian categories and in the, in the experience of, you know, the mystic experience or something. And in the midst of it, what do you do with all that? So that's big fancy stuff. It was 25 years ago, I forget. But I remember the title, and it weaves together for tonight. Ah, okay, So hold on to that thought for a little bit. I want to focus on one word for a moment here, and that's the Greek word poesis. So you see it up there. I'm a very visual person, so that's why I put this here. You can see the words. In the the book of Genesis, uh, there it is, as if that's it. Uh, The book of Genesis, it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in the Hebrew, Barashit, Elohim, I don't know, Elohim, Barah, Hashemayim, Vahiretz. Okay, there you go. In the, though the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek 300 years before Jesus came along because most people who had originally been speaking Hebrew weren't anymore. Greek had become a very common language, so the Bible was translated into Greek. So in that same first sentence, it says in Greek, I won't tell you, but it says, it says, and God, and the Greek word is epoyosin, that word right there, God in the heavens and the earth. And we would translate that word today, he, he did or he made, he made it. What I love, though, about that word, it's so much richer than the flatness of God made the heavens and the earth, you know, um, because what this word is, it's the heart of the word poetry, all right? It's to do something in such a way as to shape, to fashion, to create, to give it life, and that's what that's a heart of poetry is that words, we you know, words aren't flat things necessarily. They can be things that create and they make life. So I got myself in trouble once a teaching. I teach a lot of different classes. Oh, I'll tell you here, so I'm stepping away for a second. A few years ago, I was teaching both at an evangelical Christian university and I teach at kind of a, uh, I'll use the word New Age Institute at the same time. I was teaching between these two girls, schools. This school started as a yoga massage therapy school, and then they started teaching every other esoteric, ding, word for the day, esoteric topic. And I was, so I was teaching Christian worldview at the Christian University, that course, and then going over here. And I remember I said once to the, the director of this school over here. I said, it's so strange for me going back and forth between two worlds, you know, this evangelical Christian place and this new age school. And she looked at me, she goes, are we in new age school? And I went, <laughs> and I looked around the room, she, is she punking me? I was like, you teach, uh, you know, yoga massage therapy, Reiki, polarity. And I, I went to the whole list, even toe reading. I mean, just all kinds of things. And toe, you're like, what? Ask me later. Okay. So, uh, I thought, she thought of herself, this was, this was her Christian school as well. Her son went to Grand Canyon, uh, the, the Christian University. Her son went there. She thought of herself as a Christian, and she took offense that I was calling her school a New Age school. So, I thought, huh, okay. Anyway, but it was, I was navigating these two worlds all the time, and at this school over here, I got to teach a lot of fun courses. One of them is mysticism. Other is uh, Christian, or a uh, comparative religion, so... In this course in comparative religion, we went through Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and some others Confucianism, the Chinese spiritualities and philosophies. And nobody ever complained until I got to Christianity. And it's so funny, you know, I mean, nobody's like, oh, they just, oh, Buddhism, thank you, it's interesting, okay, good, Hinduism, great, Islam, good, interesting. And um, until I got to Christianity, which I'm thinking this is what I know most about, I'm very passionate, and I teach with, mm, you know, panache, you know, whatever it is. I teach, and uh, I got a critique once that came back to me through the administration. They called me in, and they said, "We've gotten this critique about you, and the student writes that Dr. Mike, he's full of his own opinions." <laughs> it was one thirsty thing to say? He's full of his own opinions. And he says, and he's not a Christian. He says he's a Christian, but he's not. And I thought, and they went and said, what's what's all, because then she went on to say, he says the book, the Bible is just a book of poetry. And so they called, the administration called me in. And even though it's it's not a Christian school, but they're just like, what's this story? What's all this about? And I said, oh, oh. I said, I I "I probably should have been a little slower in class. So I'm going to walk you through what I say because probably what I said is the, book of the Bible functions best for me when it functions like poetry, okay? That's a statement. And, um, and that's probably the one that got me in trouble with that one person. And so now I'm going to take a little more time with that and say, what does that mean for me? Well, for me, it's a sense of poetry isn't, you know, well, poetry is powerful, powerful words that do things. And remember, the first thing I said to all of us as we were gathered, I said, what I'm doing up here is a different animal from a sermon. I did say, but a sermon for me isn't something that is about something. A sermon does something. In similar ways, poetry does something. It shapes us. It moves us. It it makes something new of us in the encounter with it. You could read a poem uh, very quickly and go, hmm, that was interesting. And you have an SAT test. You write about the poem. But a poem really is meant to have its way with us and us with it. You know, we invite it in and we discover its meaning. Uh, I remember saying once to somebody, I said, the sweetness of any mystery is the duration of its unfolding. That was a pickup line. Um, (laughs) It worked. Um, The sweetness of any mystery is the duration of its unfolding. And that's what poetry is for me. It takes relationship, it takes being with it and spending time with it. And it's that words that have its way with us. And Amber this morning gave us three words, you know, in the Hebrew. She said, uh, she had uh, Caitlin sing for us in Hebrew. And that translation of that, let's see, It's somewhere here. I'll get back to this, get back to that. There it is. So, al shlosha devarim ha'olam kayam ha'emet v'ha'adim Shalom. So, what that means? What I love about this—it translates to, with with three words, does the cosmos cohere together? That's my translation. The whole cosmos hangs together on three words: um, truth, justice, and shalom, which I've translated as restoration, peace, restoration. So what I love about this in this Hebrew mindset is the sense of that words have power, you know, and in the beginning when it says God created the heavens and the earth, and later on it says, and God said, let there be, and there was, okay, we'll do that again, and God said, let there be, light. and there was, light. oh, beautiful, see, there, oh, let's do that one more time and see what you got, and, and God said, let there be, and there was, and there was light, woo, and so it's thinking that sense of the speaking, speaking reality into being. There's power in, our, in the words, you know. And so we can turn that thing on our, its head that always says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I, th- I always thought, that's not true. Because <laughs> words have power, if we let them. Words have power. So step, taking a step, I'll do it slowly, this little short uh, verse here says that, because uh, it's tra- when the translation we had this morning is three things, the world, there's three things that make the world go round, uh, but the way I like it is there are three words that, by which the whole cosmos coheres, hangs together, and that's here is uh, truth, uh, faith, justice, and restoration, and then I would ch- probably change these words for myself and say faith, hope, and love. There are three words by which the whole universe hangs together, and that's faith, hope, and and love. And these words do things. Yeah. All right, let's go back. So, ooh, doo, 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 doo. okay, so here, poetry, poesis, that's this Greek word which means doing and making and shaping and creating and causing to come into being. So, at the heart of poetry is that verb saying, I'm doing something with words to create reality. And so, I. From that, thinking about God creating light with words, speaking light into being, I then started for myself referring to God as the, as the starlight poet. Because God creates with words the starlight and moves the stars in their spheres. <laughs> it's a very poetic phrase, all right? idea. But just that sense of, because um, we're moving into talking about imagination tonight as well, is one thing. And the power of our imagination and the power of our words um, so I, I get myself in trouble if I too quickly say, the, book of the, the Bible functions best for me when it functions like poetry. I like the poetic. There are certain aspects of the Bible that are written like poetry. The Psalms, the book of Revelation. I got myself in trouble for saying that once, too. The book of Revelation is, po- is like poetry. It's a very poetic book. Um, but it does things with words, and as do the Psalms. And throughout Scripture, there are places that function, not like poetry because it's poetic, but because it does things with words. Uh, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, uh, you have put on Christ as your clothing. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, for all of us are one, doing something with words, the power of that. God, the great starlight poet. All right, we did that. So figurative language, words gesture beyond themselves. Our human words are too small to contain the reality they express. And so figurative words are those which gesture beyond themselves to a bigger reality. And that's when I talk about the Bible or Scripture being that which is poetic, means it's words that take me into a bigger reality, a bigger reality, a bigger truth. So that's... um, and I would say that our words spoken are powerful and our words sung are even more powerful. And that's why, I, you know, every, every once in a while somebody can, might come up to me and say, why did we change the words to that song? <laughs> and I have to remember, oh, you know, the words, of, the words we learn, we're, oh, music, the words we sing take us somewhere, and often they take us back to a place of faith and meaningful, faith, a meaningful spiritual experience. And so when I sing, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear ringing in my ear The voice of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we cherish, there None other has ever known The words are... The words we sing are important because they take us somewhere to a place of faith, a place of meaningful connection. Um, And so, if we do sing different words sometimes, I can see that's a jar, it could be a jarring experience. And I also invite you to say, You have options. (laughs) Sing the way it's meaningful to you. But that's why I love what. Sarah's doing for us. We're singing the old songs. We're singing the new songs because we have a chance to go back, not to go back in a sense of a nostalgia that says the good old days are only when it was good, but to bring the past into the present in such a way that it does something, you know. Okay. Figurative language. It gestures beyond itself to a bigger world. And that's to... Oh, when I was teaching at this, the Christian University... And I was teaching Christian worldview, and the way I did it, too, was to track through 13 weeks of class through the book of Mark, and i just say, uh, let's just walk the journey with Jesus, you know, as we do this. And I would come to a certain place, I said, now, you know, this word, I don't even remember what it was specifically, but this word could mean this, it could mean this, it could mean this. And so when we think about it, it we have a possibility, the whole phrase could mean this, or this, or this. And... There was a young woman in the class about mid-semester. She made an appointment to see me. She says, Dr. Hegeman, Dr. Hegeman, I need to see you, or I'd like to see you. So we met, and uh, she says, I'm lost. I'm really lost. She says, my tradition, which was even more, it was some kind of Seventh-day Adventist plus. I don't know what it was, but it was a little more... Conservative, even than that. She says, They tell us, they've told me my whole life, that the King James Version of the Bible is the only Bible that Christians can read. And that's the only one we're allowed to read. And every word is true. And the only word, you, I mean, it's the only one way to translate or understand anything. Now you tell me that you can understand this word, um, you know, the word salvation could also be deliverance, it also could be rescue, it could be, you know, whatever it is, all these different options. She goes, I'm terribly lost. I feel like I'm on a, a boat that's been set adrift in a great sea. And I, I said to her, I said, I, I don't envy you, that lost feeling. And I said, and I wouldn't rescue you from it. I don't envy you, and I wouldn't rescue you from it. Because that newness, you know, that, that, those doors that open into a bigger world, the words gesture beyond themselves to a bigger world, um scary, mm, scary. Sometimes we hunker down when we're scared. And we, look, we return to a place of faith that allows us to venture out step by step. In the water, straight out a little bit deeper. I'm going to break into song constantly. I don't, that's what I do. Okay. Oh, I... You, I I tell you this, like, every time I get ready to preach and people know I'm preaching on Sunday morning, they're like, are you going to sing? Are you going to sing on Sunday morning? Are you going to sing? I'm like, maybe. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) This last time I preached, um, the song was, I said, everybody says, you'll know it. Join in when you're ready. Stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Good. You age yourself there or date yourself there. That, was, that, was, that song is from the year I was born. So you can imagine a congregation of 500, 600 Presbyterian frozen chosen singing, Stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. They like to cut loose a little bit, all right. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. So many things. Oh, so I get myself in, well, some lovely trouble sometimes teaching. And... um. And it, but it gives me a chance to revisit something and be more, a little more respectful, or careful with the words I say. So when I talk about the Bible function, functioning poetically, for me that's a that's a big deal. That's a wonderful thing, because it's words that I allow to do have their way with me. You know, so read the song of. If you ever want to have Scripture have its way with you, read the Song of Solomon, <laughs> that's that's some racy stuff in there. You know, You're, so though, though you, thanks for reading it. You know, good. All right. You know, but the parts we take out are I am my beloved's and he is mine His banner over me is love There are other parts are like Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon (laughs) And your bosom is like two leaping deers (sighs) Okay, so it's all in there Let scripture have its way with you Okay, I have no idea what I'm doing So let's just go on Okay, one of the things, this phrase that I picked up, I'll, oops, I picked up, um, its don't, just, don't get distracted by the man behind the curtain. Um, one of the things I picked up in my studies, you know, was a, a discussion about who are we as human beings. And I came across this lovely phrase. So you'll see at the top, we call ourselves homo sapiens. That means wise human, right? Homo sapiens, we're wise humans. But this one author said, you know what we really are is we're homo neurons. And you can see the word narrate in there. I may have misspelled it, but homo- narrating be- we're narrating beings or we're storytelling beings. And so how is it that we live? We live through the stories we tell. And that's how we make meaning all the time. We're constantly telling stories. Somebody says, Tanya, how was your day today? I see you're at the end of the day. Pretty good, thanks, Mike. Okay, she's now encapsulated uh, 16 hours into, pretty good, thanks, Mike. Or she might go into a whole litany of, well, you know, before it rained, I was feeling pretty good. And all of a sudden, the rain came down, and I was like, wah. And I was coming in my head like, yeah. So anyway, she's like, oh, the rain. I mean, she might tell me that all the things, she's weaving her day together. And as I listen, as Diana talked about today, or yesterday, listening, is that I can hear what's meaningful to Tanya in the way she tells her stories. Or Diana, uh, Diana, Diane, Susan, um, Kirsten, Kirsten, uh, Anders. Anyway, all of us, we are always telling stories. And, and we're giving our stories meaning by the way, and we're telling about who we truly are by the stories we tell. And so we're narrating beings. And so I want to encourage me and you to be, care- to be aware, to notice the stories we tell. Because I tell a lot of stories that, that, that are pretty negative to myself and about other people. And um, uh, I have this relationship with a counselor <laughs> that I've known for 40 years now. Her name is Hope Farr. And I first met her when I was a 13-year-old. Sometime in my late teens, I went to see her just this first session to say, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to be in this world and do. And she just says, well, why don't you just get quiet and listen and ask? <laughs> okay. And it came to me, I, I was grateful that it came to me so young and it said, who am I? And, the, and what I heard was, you are a bridge builder between people and people's And just like that, you are a bridge builder between people and peoples. Go do with that what you want. I didn't hear that part, but that's what I've done. And to say, ah, to be... And I noticed that many of my stories tear down bridges more than they build bridges. So I'm working on that. But one of the things that Hope says, she says lots of good, pithy things... And she'll say to us, when you go on with your stories, you come in telling your stories of your woundedness and your hurts and your anger and your frustration, and she'll say, I'll listen to your stories once. I'll listen to your stories once. Then you get to decide what to do after that. You know, if the, more, if the more you want to just tell your stories, you're just looking for an ally you're looking for somebody to commiserate with you, commiserate, just to join you in your misery. That's what, the, we could hear that word that way. Somebody, you want somebody to commiserate with you, just wanting somebody to join you in your misery. Maybe not to empathize, which is to feel along with, you know, commiserate. So, so, my stories. And I, what I realized in, throughout my life is that I, one of the practices I do right now is that I hold a lot of tension in my body. And I've done it all my life. And instead of, I mean, Hope reminds me, she goes, well, instead of getting so frustrated, you're just like, oh, why don't I change? Why, why, why? She says, why won't get you there? Why won't bring you into change? She'll say, how, what can you do to change? And she offered me this, a sense of, oh, and and what I discovered is like, when I, she says, just notice that you're holding that tension and breathe, (sighs) breathe out. Breathe in, then notice. Just notice. Don't hold on to the story. Oh, I'm so tense all the time. And what I noticed in breathing through that is that I'm, I said, oh, I'm telling myself an old story. That's what I'm doing. Some old, old stories that I've got to be on guard all the time because someone's out to get me. I've got to be on guard because somebody is going to insult, wound, hurt, you know, all those things. I'm like clenched up. And then I just said, I could just say to myself, and I notice that, breathe through it, and say, oh, how creative am I? I'm pretty darn creative. I know that. Instead of using my energy to tell myself an old story, I use my creativity to tell myself a new story. What's my new story? Oh, well, gratitude, gratitude. All I know is gratitude. I am grateful every day for my life in every way. Something like that. So I had to tell myself a new story. And that's my taking responsibility for my life, saying, I got to tell myself a new story. And then when I'm hearing people tell their stories, I have have a lot of work colleagues who like to vilify the senior minister in our church. Everybody likes to do it. They have so much fun doing it, too, because they do it often. And they try to tell these stories, oh, I can't believe he did this or this. I'm so mad. And what I've come to do is going, as I'm listening to them and their stories, and I say, is there something in this that I can do to help you change the situation? They're like, no, I just want to be mad. I'm like, okay. As long as we're clear about that. But I also, I tell all those kinds of stories, too. I'm, I'm always I'm telling stories. And I realized, am I just telling stories to, to rehearse my woundedness, my victimhood? Or am I telling stories that build bridges? So that's my challenge, As I'm, I'm doing this with you, too. I'm trying to discover ways of telling my stories that build bridges. And Diana helped us by saying, she used the word listening, and kind of active listening, not only with our ears, but our whole being, our whole body is listening. Ah, okay. So we'll come back to that. I mean, but just to sit with that, that taking responsibilities for the stories we tell. And I will oh, tell this story or not. Hmm. And I recognize that anytime I tell a story that includes somebody else, that story is really not about that other person. It's about me. Everything that I say is my perception of who that person is, and I'm revealing more about myself than the other person. So earlier this week, or actually the first day uh, I arrived and saw somebody who's not part of this, our, our gathering and said, hi, do you remember me? And she looked at me and she said, oh, oh. You're part of that JFO thing. She said, You're part of that non-Christian pagan occult thing. Non-Christian pagan occult thing. I'm so sad this is happening. And she ran away. And I was like, Whew, that's quite a story. And for the first time in my life, I had to tell you, that was my number one fear somebody would say to me, <laughs> something like that, coming here, somebody's gonna accuse me of some. I told you at the beginning too Christian for some, not enough Christian for others, and that somebody was going to confront me in such a way. And uh, I found myself, though, I just, I I said to this person, she came back and apologized, but then reiterated everything she said. And and I said, I hear you're struggling with that. I'm listening to your story, and I hear you're struggling with that. And that's why I found all I needed to say. Because I wanted to say, I'm not going to live into your story, and your story's not about me. I, your story's bigger. And I was able for the first time really in my life, instead of being afraid of that, was to say, wow, what a divine appointment that was, you know? Somebody came up and just let loose. And I was able to say, and actually with Diana's help, the two of us were there to experience that. And we went and we said, let's go pray about that. And I got her permission to share that she was part of that story. And we went and we prayed and we went back to that moment and we saw ourselves just standing there in light and love and uh, with angels around us, everything that's meaningful to us about being in love and said, that's all we needed to do. So, 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 oh, that was interesting. And to let it go and to love that other person and her role in playing out our divine appointment. So I'm, I'm learning how to hear other people's stories and not take them on. But to respond in compassion as well, instead of just going, mm, talk to the hand, you know, which is probably something we need to do sometime. But sometimes it's to respond only to in love and not to move into the drama of it. you know. Say, okay, wow. Anyway, to be more creative with the stories that I tell myself and tell others. So I want to read you a little bit from Mr. Glenn Clark. Um, about creative love, creative faith, and creative peace. So, what I and I want to say, I did talk a little bit about holding up Glenn Clark as a as a as an as a model of faith, a model of, an inspiration. And I wanted to say that you know we treat Glenn Clark, at least I do, differently from perhaps somebody who might from Christian Science might hold up Mary Baker Eddy. Now, let me tell you my experience of that. And if you if you if you have experience with Christian Science and what I say is different, let me know. From your experience. In Christian science today, in a service of worship, uh, people read the King James Bible and then they read readings from Mary Baker Eddy and then they sit down and that's all they do. There's no modern interpretation of, of that event. No, just reading the scripture, reading Mary Baker Eddy's writings, sit down, maybe you meditate on that, some, best spend some time quiet. but for a, somebody who has a PhD in preaching, oh, Put that aside. For me, a message needs to come into the here and now, you know, and interpret. So my experience of, if I hold up um, Glenn Clark and read from him, it's not to say that, it's to hear him anew and afresh and say, inspire us to, to do likewise, think big thoughts Dream large, my soul, dream large. God thinks great thoughts through thee. If thou canst dream true brotherhood, mankind shall yet be free. Okay, here we go, a little Glenn Clark, just to hold him up as a way of inspiring us. Creative love. The most powerful of all invisible elements of consciousness is love. The person who lets love flood out from him or her in all directions, encompassing all persons and all things, both finite and infinite, is doing more to make himself impervious to illness or accident than anything else he could possibly do. So this is from How to Find Health Through Prayer. So he says again, the most powerful of all invisible elements of consciousness is love. The person who lets love flood out from her or him in all directions, encompassing all persons and all things, both finite and infinite, is doing more to make himself or herself impervious to illness or accident than anything else one could do. The patient on the bed of pain who can release love in all of this all-encompassing way can be cured. For God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him but this matter of sending out love everywhere sounds as easy as pushing a button or turning on a switch, when, as a matter of fact, it is a colossal an achievement, as anything you have ever done. So, I both want to hold that up as saying, yeah, it's big, and it should be like, and it could be like breath for us, sending out love. And I do. After reading that passage, I, I first thing I said in one of my talks was. We spoke I focus on healing and love and healing and healing and healing and all the ways we can learn to heal and grow. And yet all people pass from this physical frame. We all die. <laughs> we all die. And Glenn Clark himself, you know, a man of healing prayer, the end of his life, I just learned, I didn't know how he ever passed away, but multiple myeloma, and that's just right about 56 years, no, in 1956, in his early 70s, you know, passed from this frame of existence. So I, I want to hold that tension for us, saying, yes, love, 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 love. And, um, and we're going to experience pain and loss in this life too. But on to creative faith. One cannot have creative faith if he or she has fear, for fear is the most destructive faith there is. Fear is faith that the powers of evil are greater than the powers of good. But creative love, as I have described it, will take care of that. Perfect love casts out fear. How can you you fear when you love a God who is all loving toward you? How can you fear when you love all humankind? How can you fear when you love all that God has created, even the very illness which you love? even the very illness which you love, something's not right here, but I'll, I'll see if we can go on and make the sense of it. Even if, when you love the very illness you love, when you love all things, even germs and maggots, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing you will find possible for you to fear. In the calm which such an all-encompassing love begets in you, all power is yours. And to remind you, that word power in the Greek is dunamis, which means dynamite, and we translate it as miracle, power, miracle. It's a shift in consciousness to see that God is really at work. That's my thought. Okay. Creative peace. Out of the union of creative love and creative faith is born creative peace, the greatest miracle-producing power known to humanity. For peace, not the peace which the world giveth, but that peace which passes all understanding clears the channel and makes the way straight for the power of God to manifest in its completest forms. Our cargoes, says one writer, only come to us over calm seas. Anyway, together, creative love, creative faith, creative peace. Uh, That was from How to Find Health Through Prayer. And weaving those together, I think, is a sense of their creativity, you know? Make our thoughts, our stories poetic, words that create and create bridges, uh, meaningful, meaningful bridges. Okay. Well, that's what else we got? Ah. Ah. So you're getting several Greek words tonight. The, the word mythos in Greek. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have my, time, my dingbat in the front. I mean, my dinger in the front. <laughs> Sorry. That's from our prayer group. Tanya always does the dinging for us when the time's up. Well, let's end with something. <laughs> I had no idea what time it was. Okay, um, just to end with this. When I talked about the transformation of mythic consciousness, big phrases, what I really mean is change the stories you're telling. Let's change the, uh, the myth. And myth in Greek just means plot line. And Aristotle wrote a book about how you chart the plot line, you know, the, the uh, exhibition and the rising uh, uh, tension and the, the climactic moment and the denouement. I mean, he uses other words, but he talks about all this stuff, about how you analyze story and all that stuff, mythos. And what I would say is we can change the story in the moment. My old story of being hurt and wounded and all that stuff, it doesn't serve me anymore. And so the creative story I want to be telling myself, the new, new story, is that uh, love is possible here and now. Change my thoughts, but also change my feelings, change my story. Change the story so that it builds bridges and does new things. So I'm going to end it with one more song, and then we'll do that prayer thing. This one is for me to bring all that together. Another story that I tell myself is I have to call to remembrance who I really am. So here's this story and how I weave some things together. I call to remembrance each day that I'm living. I call to remembrance just who I am. I'm body, mind, and spirit, a holy three-in-one. I'm living, loving, learning, and I have just begun to see my sacred purpose for each and every day, I call to remembrance to live this holy way. I'll do it for you one more time, and we've sung it before with some of you, but we may put it in the song list sometime. But just to hear that again, call to remembrance a holy story. I call to remembrance each day that I'm living. I call to remembrance just who I am. I'm body, mind, and spirit. I'm body, mind, and spirit. Holy three in one. A holy three in one. I'm living, loving, learning. I'm living, loving, learning. And I have just begun to see my sacred purpose for each and every day. I call to remembrance to live this holy way This will be continued Thursday morning. Tomorrow morning we have Kirsten so All right and then fun stunt night tomorrow night. Thank you all. Thank you, Jay.